Hey, this is Kevin Weatherby at Save the Cowboy. I want you to tow that stirrup, throw a leg over the candle, take a deep seat, and pull your hat down tight. I ain't gonna tolerate no whining or griping, so let's all strike a long trot down that narrow trail and learn how to ride with God. Come on! What you waiting on? Let's go. If you have your Bibles, uh, turn with me to Romans chapter 8. So, uh, for about the last seven days or so, I have been getting Facebook memories that pop up of five years ago whenever we went to Israel. And um, just seeing some of the things, uh, remembering when the pictures were taken and and all of that is 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 just an amazing experience. But um, I, I also was reminded this week about that trip is that we were sitting in Munich, Germany, right? And we're sitting in Munich and uh, <laughs> the Carnahans are with us, Karen Carnahan and her dad and uh, Charlie. And so we have like a four hour layover. So like, me and Abe and Neil, we went walking around the Munich, you know, airport and stuff like that. Well, there wasn't a lot of chairs where we had to go, and they wasn't going to open it up till 30 minutes before um, the flight and everything. So there wasn't a lot of chairs, but Karen Carnahan is sitting next to somebody that's waiting on the same plane as us, and she was from Germany. And whenever me and Abe and Neil got back from our stroll around Munich airport, Karen is just politely laughing to herself and Karen tells us this story that she's sitting there and for a long time this lady's just what because there's like 10 or 12 of us I don't remember exactly how many of us went but uh this lady is just sitting there watching us walk around and everything and finally she leans over to Karen and she says are y'all with these people and Karen said yes and she goes might I ask you a question Karen was like well sure she goes why do they all have cowboy costumes on? <laughs> and Karen said, I- I'm-, I'm sorry? She goes, why do a lot of the men have cowboy costumes on? And she goes, well, well they're, not, they're not costumes, ma'am. I mean, they're cowboys. And she goes, you mean like on TV? She said, yes, ma'am. She goes, cowboys are real? I said, yes. She goes, you mean with the horses and the cows and all of that? Like she was amazed that there was actually something called a cowboy. And she went on to tell her that she really did not know. She thought it was kind of like Marvel Comics or something. We're just superheroes that are in five and dime store, you know, novels and stuff like that. Remember that. <laughs> right? <laughs> and, uh... But anyway, and, and, and y'all guys that, that wear hats and y'all cowboys, that, man, y'all know what I'm fixing to say. Have you ever talked to somebody and they always ask you the unanswerable question? Are you a real cowboy? <laughs> that does not have an answer, okay? It, it just doesn't. And so we always go... Well, yeah, I guess, <laughs> you know, and then, and then they start putting qualifiers in and everything. Well, have you been in a rodeo? Yeah. <laughs> you a bull rider? I've been hooked pretty good by some, you know, I, like, can you rope? Yes. And I mean, like, it's all of these things. And at the end of it, you start questioning who you really are. <laughs> like, 
I might not be a cowboy after all of this is said and done, right? Oh my gosh, it's... It, <laughs> it, there, there is such a showdown between, you know, what people think and reality, right? Well, there, there's another showdown that we're going to start talking about. And it's something that's near and dear to my heart. But I think that a lot of times we think that this is uh, kind of, we know a little bit about it. We might be able to maybe explain it a little, but, but we really don't, we've never actually really seen it. And we're not sure how to use it or how it applies to us. And what I'm talking about is something called the good news. The good news. Because in my studies this week, I have noticed how often the good news is supposedly preached, but then a lot of qualifiers are added to this good news. Well, the good news is this plus this. It is good news plus it's this plus this. The good news, let's talk about what it's not before we start talking about what is. Because this week we're going to start, I think it's going to be a two-part series called The Showdown. Good news versus religion, okay? And, and I don't mean religion, because there's a verse in the Bible that we'll get to next week that talks about what real religion is, right? But I'm talking about the religion that nobody likes, the, re the religious stuff that... Uh, condemning and you're going to hell, the hellfire and brimstone and all. I'm talking about the negative aspects of religion that man has come up with, not the perfect institution that God talked about, okay? So before we talk about what the good news is, let's talk about what it's not, okay? The good news is not faith plus baptism, okay? And a lot of times, and I, and I know that the that my Baptist preacher just rolled over in his grave, you know, and have y'all ever wondered? I, my, my grandmother used to go to a Presbyterian church, and I always wanted to be at the sermon where they had to say Baptist, you know, like, and then John, the guy who dunked in water for repentance of sin, that's what they called him. They wouldn't say Baptist. That's a joke. I'm going to quit joking, guys. It's not faith plus baptism, and a lot of times we want to associate other things with the good news. The good news is faith and faith alone, not faith plus baptism. Now, I think that baptism is a very, very important part of our Christian maturing. It's our first chance to be obedient to God because he said that we should get baptized. But it, the thief on the cross is an excellent illustration that baptism is not a part of the good news, okay? It's an important part of obedience, of identifying. I mean, there's so many good things about it, but the good news is not faith plus baptism. Baptism is a sign of obedience, not a prerequisite for the good news. It's also not this. It's not faith plus continual verbal request for forgiveness, because I, you don't know how many people I've talked to over the years that are scared to death that if they haven't asked forgiveness for a specific sin, that they're going to go to hell. Where is the good news in that, that, you know, if you actually sinned and then you died, that because you didn't have the chance to ask for forgiveness, that, that now you're going to hell? 
it, the, the good news is not faith plus continual verbal request for forgiveness. Faith is forgiveness of all sins, past, present, and future. And I think that we should ask for forgiveness. It's our way of keeping our mind and our, our eyes on the cross, right? It's so vastly important, not only to, to, for the forgiveness of our sins, but forgive other people. But it's not a prerequisite to the good news. Isn't it amazing how often we want to put our two cents into the good news? We want a part to play in it, so we start adding qualifiers. Not much different than the people that ask us if we're real cowboys. Well, do you rodeo? Well, do you ask for forgiveness every day? Do you pray every day? Do you go to church every day? Have you been baptized? All of these qualifiers that don't belong with the good news. Important? Yes. But nothing can be added to the good news. The good news is that we have no part besides our faith in the good news. That's what's good about it. And it's not, and, and I, know, I know that religion is going to attack me for this, and I'm prepared, I think. Everybody's prepared till they get punched in the mouth, right? But anyway, listen, it's not faith plus discipleship. It's not faith plus discipleship. Or let me rephrase that just a little bit. Does the good news mean that you have to make Jesus Christ the Lord of your life? No, it does not. How do I know that? Let's look at a person in the Bible that by all appearances did not make God the Lord of their life. Okay, It's a guy that lived in Abraham's day. As a matter of fact, it was Abraham's nephew, Lot. Now, Lot is Abraham's oldest brother's oldest son, okay? And when Abraham goes to the promised land, because Lot's dad had died, Abraham took Lot with him. Now, once they get to the promised land, there starts to be a, a kind of a, a shouting match between Abraham's cowboys and Lot's cowboys, and they're squabbling over grazing rights. So Abraham, in the spirit of unity, said, listen, God gave us all of this land right here. You pick which one you want. And if you pick north, I'll pick south. If you pick east, I'll pick west, just so that our, our people don't fight amongst themselves. So what did Lot do? He took the best grazing land, right? He's like, well, I'll take this fertile valley right here, and I'll leave you that rock. Abraham's like, okay. And he does it, right? So, I mean, number one, he's kind of selfish. He didn't say, you take the north half of the good grazing land, and I'll take the south. He took it all, <laughs> And if you've been to Israel, when we say it's a rock right there, we're not joking, okay? We're not joking. It's just a rock. And um, so, number one, he was selfish, right? Then, number two, the next time we hear of Lot, he's got himself captured by, like, four kings that invaded wherever, right? And Abraham had to go um, rescue him, right? And then the third time we hear about Lot, guess what? It's, where is Lot living? Sodom and Gomorrah. It's like, really? I mean, this is Abraham's nephew. If anybody had, like, a good role model, it's the uncle, right? By all outward appearances, God was not the Lord of Lot's life. Yet, yet, in 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 7 and 8, we learn this. 
But God also rescued Lot out of Sodom because he was a righteous man who was sick of the shameful immorality of the wicked people around him. Yes, Lot was a righteous man who was tormented in his soul by the wickedness he saw and heard day after day. Now, all outward appearances, he did not live like that, did he? But the good news is, is that God was with him. Even when he was in Sodom and Gomorrah, even when he was captured by kings, even when he was selfish. See, discipleship makes a believer more mature, but it does not make him more secure, okay? Discipleship makes a believer more mature, but discipleship does not make a believer more secure because you can't be more secure than secure. He's either got you or he doesn't. There's no degrees of it, okay? So we've talked about what the good news is. It's not faith plus baptism. It's not faith plus continual verbal request for forgiveness. And, and, and it's not even, you know, faith plus discipleship is the good news. Now, I, I think, have y'all ever listened to Les Feldick? Does anybody know who Les Feldick is? Les Feldick is a guy that has... He's a cattle rancher from Kitna, Oklahoma, and for like 25 years, he had a little Bible study on TV. And I still watch him to this day, and I like watching him back in the 80s when he's like, his cattle market's never going to you know, recover, and we may have to start taking up an offering, <laughs> you know, and then like he's, he's just a good guy. But this week watching, he said this, and I think it, it's a great, great example of what we're talking about. He said, let's remember that the good news can be defined as faith plus nothing else. It's just faith. Faith plus nothing is the good news. So let's look at what the good news is instead of what it isn't. In Romans chapter 8, verse 1, it says, So now there is no condemnation for those who are in. Christ Jesus, or so there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And what does it take to belong? It takes faith. Even the faith of a mustard seed is all the faith you need. You don't need the faith of a Mount Everest because the faith of a mustard seed saves just as much as the faith of a Mount Everest does, right? So now there is no condemnation for those who have faith in Jesus Christ. Okay, back back in the late 1900s, that's how I'm going to start referring to it because it sounds cooler than late 90s. Way back in the late 1900s, <laughs> you watch, I'm going to make it a deal. I'm going to make it a deal. Back in the late 1900s, I'm going to do that through repetitive use. Back in the late 1900s, <laughs> probably mid to late 1900s, um, <laughs> yes, that was before you were born. That's why I say back in the late 1900s, I sat on a witness stand. And the reason I was sitting on the witness stand is that a couple of years before that, well, we were sitting on the witness stand because of my stepson and some custody stuff with my, with my stepson. And um, a couple of years before that, um, to make a long story short, I was asked, and I readily volunteered, I'm saying it, I was asked to lie about a visitation weekend, and because of uh, my stepson's mom and her ex could not get along, 
I kind of served as the go-between to try to keep the peace with both of them. And I was asked, and I readily agreed to try to keep the peace, mainly for me probably, but anyway, I called Griffin's biological dad and asked if he could stay home that weekend because his grandparents were coming and they wanted to see him when in fact the grandparents were not coming and had no intention of being there. I lied. And a couple of years later, I find myself sitting on a witness stand in this custody deal. And the lawyer looks at me and says, Mr. Weatherby, did you, in fact, one time ask my client if his son could remain with you and his mom over a weekend that was supposed to be my client's regularly scheduled weekend, but that his grandparents were coming down? And I said, yes. I told him that and said, was that, in fact, true? And I said, no. He said, you mean you lied so that my client wouldn't see his son? And I said, yes. And he looked at me and he said, is that any way a preacher's supposed to act? And I looked right back at him and said, I wasn't a preacher when I did that. And that's all I said. But here's the point. I'm not making an excuse. I lied and I did it of my own volition. But see, when I truly gave my life to Christ, now there is no condemnation for those that belong to Christ Jesus. And if my Lord won't condemn me for that, I dang sure ain't gonna let another man do it. Now, he did it, but I didn't take it to heart and it didn't bother me because they might as well have been talking about somebody else because that wasn't me anymore. That's what it means that there is no condemnation. You will never be held guilty for anything that you do while you remain in Christ, right? I mean, you are a new creation. That's what the good news is. I didn't worry about my past and the mistakes that I'd made because I have been forgiven. I wouldn't allow anyone to condemn the new man because of what the old man did. It might as well have been talking about you or somebody else. I I shouldn't say you. You're probably not a liar like I am. The good news means that you are forever redeemed and secure while religion The battle between the good news and religion is that religion is always throwing out things to make you feel like you're condemned. Well, you're not doing this right. You're not doing that right. You're not doing this right. You're not doing that right. That's all religion. God's answer is there is no condemnation. If you ever, a lot of people ask me, how do you know the difference between the Holy Spirit and the devil whenever, you know, you got that proverbial angel on one end and devil on the other side? Let me tell you how to do that. They can say the exact same thing, but the way the devil talks to you is in condemnation. You're not a good enough Christian. You didn't do this right. Are you? He sows doubts. He makes you doubt yourself, okay? But on the other hand, the Holy Spirit will convict us, and even if he's telling us hard truths, we know we can be better with his help. So the, the devil will always try to use God's voice to make us feel bad. Condemnation. While the Holy Spirit's voice always convicts us and says, you know what? With God's help, you can be better than this. And you want to do it, right? That's the difference. That's the showdown between the good news and religion. What is the good news? It's the fact that there is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus, those that have faith in Christ Jesus. And the second thing that the good news is, is found in verse 2 of Romans chapter 8. 
And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving Holy Spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. You know, and, and I think that the Holy Spirit, man, I've been wrestling with this. What is the Holy Spirit? Well, I think that in that question, it immediately leads us to the wrong place. Because it's not what is the Holy Spirit. The question is, who is the Holy Spirit? Because just as God is a real, well, I mean, he's not a person, but you know what I mean. He's a real entity, right? God is. And we know Jesus was a real entity, but the Holy Spirit is a real, real, real person. He's not, the Holy Spirit is not some esoteric manifestation of an inanimate idea represented by the power of God. It's not, he's not that. He is a real person. How do we know that he is a real person? It's because of this. He possesses and exhibits the attributes of a person. He has intelligence. He knows and searches the things of God. He possesses a mind. Romans 8, 27, he is able to teach people. 1 Corinthians 2, 13, he shows feelings. He can be grieved by sinful actions of believers. Ephesians 4, 30, you can't grieve an esoteric manifestation of some inanimate idea. You can't grieve that, but you can grieve the Holy Spirit because he's a person. He has a will. He uses this will in distributing gifts to the body of Christ. He also directs the activities of Christians. I've been thinking of how to maybe explain the triune nature, <laughs> as Sarah puts it. Let's discuss the triune nature of a monotheistic deity, <laughs> right? All the time. So, uh, but th this is kind of an idea just to give you an illustration of what I'm talking about is that. God is the destination, okay? God is the destination. At the end of Revelation, the culmination of the Bible is when God comes down to a rejuvenated, redeemed earth, and it says, I will be with my people and they will be with me, okay? God is the destination. Jesus is the road that leads to that destination. But the Holy Spirit is the lights along that road that light it up, that show us, hey, this is the way. And if we start getting over into the darkness, we're getting away from the Holy Spirit. We have to come. The Holy Spirit guides us along the way to the destination. Okay? And he is a real person. He directs the activities of Christians. Acts 16. Um he guides us into truth by hearing, speaking, and showing from the Holy Spirit. John chapter 16 again. He convicts us of sin. John 16. He performs miracles. Acts 8. I mean, this is a real, real person. And he is a gift to us. He is the good news. When Jesus died, he said, I must leave so that the Holy Spirit can come down here and take my place so that he can be with all of you. Because in my body, I can only be with one person at a time. But the Holy Spirit, when he comes, he can be with us all. It's part of the good news. He receives things that would be given only to a person. He is one to be obeyed. He is 
He can be lied to. He can be resisted. He can be grieved. He can be blasphemed. He can be insulted. I mean, this is a real person. And the good news tells it this. This person came to free us from the power of sin. Now, a lot of people, when we start talking about, especially next week, man, they're going to start saying, oh, well, you're just using the good news as an excuse to sin. No, no, I'm not. I'm really not. Because religion will try to teach us that this type of grace through faith is an excuse to sin, but we've been freed from sin. We have not been freed to sin, right? And this type of freedom when it is truly experienced, frees us to follow God more. It does not put us a desire inside of us. It's like, well, now that I'm saved and the good news, man, I can do whatever I want to do. Let's go. I'm going to walk around and act like I'm from the late 1900s. I'm going to dip me some Copenhagen because that's what a real cowboy is, right? The Holy Spirit has been sent. He is the power of God. The same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead will raise us from the dead. It has freed us. We don't have to do what our sinful nature tells us to. And then, finally, well, for all of creation is waiting eagerly for the future day when God will really reveal who his children are. And I, and I want you to think of something is that when we start talking about the good news about what Christ did for us, that he opened the door to eternal life and he freed us from the power of sin and all of that stuff. See, the the natural inclination for us is to always think about somebody else's salvation. Well, are they really really saved? Well, so-and-so says that they're a Christian, but they don't act this way, so they must not really be saved, right? It's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that once... You become a new creation, you're a new creation. Now, it explicitly tells us right here, for all creation is waiting eagerly for the future day when God will reveal who his children really are. Yes, there are going to be people that act like they're Christians, but their heart on the day of judgment will say other, okay? But in this study, I don't want you to try to figure out if somebody else has faith in Jesus Christ. I want you to ask yourself if you have faith in Jesus Christ. Because if you would like there to never be any more condemnation from the devil, from people, anything, take faith in Jesus Christ. No condemnation. Not only that, but the Holy Spirit, the power of God comes and lives inside of us. He, he go, even when we don't know what to pray for, he sees our heart and he prays for us. Even when we can't, God can, right? And we know that not everybody that that professes to be a Christian really has the faith. But I'm not asking you to question if somebody else does. I want you to question whether you do or not. Ask yourself soberly, do I want no condemnation? And the good news says, yes, you want it, and yes, you can have it. Our faith should want us to have the good news so that the Holy Spirit can come and give us the power that we need to walk this path that Jesus has laid out for us. We should want it, and the good news says you can have it. And the third thing that we'll talk about today is the fact that we have been adopted. We have been adopted. And in Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 14, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. So it it takes that spirit, right, to show us the way. So You have not received a spirit that makes you fearful, right? 
No condemnation. The Holy Spirit lives within us. Instead, you received God's Spirit when he adopted you as his own children. What if I told you? What if I told you that you didn't, ever, you didn't have to ever have any more doubts about your eternity? What if I told you that all your worries are a waste of time and just given, and, it, and those same worries just gives an opening for the devil to lie to you more and more in a convincing way? What if I told you that the good news just keeps getting better and better? And what if you came back next week and we talked about our great salvation? Let's go to God in prayer. Father, we thank you for those that have put their faith in your sacrifice for the forgiveness of our sins. And God, if there's not somebody, if they're questioning that right now, it is that simple. The good news is as simple as saying, God, I believe that you sent your son to die on the cross and give me a free life, a life free of sin, a life free of condemnation, that you have adopted us into your family where we get to share in the same glory that Jesus does. And it's all made because of your love in sending him. And we get there by the power of your Holy Spirit that leads and guides us every day into the security of what you have promised. And it's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.